the Unscripted Podcast, where we chat with some of our industry pals and friends. Um, my name is Kevin Fukunaga. I'm your host. And today's podcast is brought to you by Script Anatomy, LA's most industry-focused TV writing school, taught entirely by working writers. Script Anatomy students have gone on to win fellowships, to secure top representation, and land the first writing jobs on numerous network and cable shows. Uh, be sure to visit their website at scriptanatomy.com for more information. But first, um, thrilled to have back on... A uh, very popular guest uh, who st- got his start at Village Roadshow, has worked at Appian Way, and now is a manager producer over at Bellevue Productions, uh, Mr. John Zalzerny. Thank you for coming back on, John. Thanks for having me on, Um, So we've got a lot. I think there's a lot we can cover. Um, first off, um, you've got a new uh, partner in crime there over at... Uh, over at Bellevue. Yeah, Jeff Portnoy, uh, who I, I believe has been on your show as well, yeah. um, is uh, came, he started working with me in, in August. So we've been working together for a few months. We've known each other for a lot longer. I've worked with a couple of his clients. Um, and so he was just someone who was really phenomenal, and I really liked him. So it kind of made sense for us to kind of start working together. Um, and we actually started managing clients together. And he's a really smart, capable guy. And you know, the background at CAA and Gotham Group and resolution and really great taste and really kind of complementary compatible skill sets so it's it's only been a couple months but it's been it's been fantastic that's great yeah jeff is a is a great guy who's got great taste um and speaking of great taste and clients um we were talking before we started uh rolling here about uh you you were at austin and signed a a nickel semi-finalist as as a client Maybe you could just walk us through that whole process of, uh, I'm not sure if it happened at Austin or it happened after Austin. Oh, you know, Austin actually hasn't happened yet. Um, I think the client is actually going to Austin. Oh, okay. But he was, but I, you know, Jeff actually had had tipped me to uh, becoming a judge in the Austin uh, screenwriting um, uh, competition, I think it is, film festival competition. Mm -hmm. And so Jeff and I were both judges, and I happened to come across a script called the Wretched Emily Derringer, which is a pretty great title. Um, and it was phenomenal. The way that I've been pitching it to people is it's Heather's if it was directed by Tim Burton. Um, and, and I read it, and I gave it to Jeff, and he read it, and we both thought the writer was phenomenal. The writer's a guy called Chris Thomas Devlin, um, who's, who's in L.A., and um, just a really talented guy. So we met with Chris, and just really, really, I'd probably say first week of October, um, or, or end of September, really, really liked him. He really liked us. We signed. Uh, we actually signed in the room because um, we knew that we wanted to kind of get this out in kind of a, by the end of the year. You know, kind of thinking of you know hopefully just kind of getting on people's attention when they're looking for interesting fresh scripts and you know when, kind of the time when like you know really great you know with like the blacklist, the bloodlist, the hit list, things like that are kind of celebrating more offbeat scripts. We want to kind of hit the ground running. So we met with Chris, signed him, and then kind of started getting out to you know, people that we really trusted, kind of tastemakers in the town. And, uh, you know, the script itself is quite a dark script. I'd say I would kind of describe it, uh, like I said, Heather is if we're like Tim Burton, but pretty dark, very, very kind of a dark comedic horror script. That's the kind of script that, honestly, if someone had told me, hey, should I go write this, I would be like, oh, go write it, because it's, it's what people like to call execution-dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chris really, really executed, as, as it were, um, and just did a really great job on the script, and it just felt really fresh and unique. So we just got him signed over at UTA with um, Charlie Ferraro, Aaron Hart, and Jane Morassis, who were really, really passionate about it. Charlie I, and I already share a client, and 
hear this group very quickly and just really responded to it and got to a, a great great group of people like Aaron and Jenny over at UTA and they loved it and so essentially you know within three weeks of signing him um, we had gotten him signed over at UTA and they wow. started kind of getting it out to you know to people they really really trust and it's been great because the script I think through being a Nicholas finalist and being an Austin Film Fest um, or a screenplay competition I should say um, people kind of had started reading it and you know we give it to a few people and it's kind of gone a little bit viral where I get incoming calls now about it from you know you know, from from you know some agents who are a little kind of slower than Charlie was, and you know from executives at studios and, and people at production companies. So it's it's kind of an interesting case where it's it's a script that's not inherently deeply commercial, but it's really a, a breath of fresh air, and there's a really strong voice there, which is what people have responded to, and 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 which is what we responded to, and and so yeah, we've we've only been repping him for less than a month, and it's kind of gone really really well. So it's it's a nice example of of kind of you know, where if you write something really fantastic that people will find it and people will kind of run with it very quickly. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned it on the last time you were on, and we had talked about it just more recently, actually, um, mm-hmm. than that. And that is what you sort of has referred to as writing something just really fantastic, because there's also the thought process of writing something that's sellable versus writing something that's... You know, just writing something to write it as a writing sample. You know what I mean? And uh, so maybe you can go into a little bit about the thought process behind writing something that's basically a pure spec, that's sellable, that fits the marketplace versus something that's a little bit askew, a little bit off-center, a little bit unique. Um, And for a new writer, which you think is more valuable and what they should focus on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this this is kind of interesting because it's, I think we can, we can cover TV and features because they both have kind of slightly different roles. But let, let's talk about features first because mm-hmm. um, that's more my experience. Although I, you know, have started kind of branch out into TV and I did work, you know, I've, I've been, you know, worked on TV shows and stuff like that. Um, I've been involved with TV shows, I should, I should say. Um, you know, it's one of those scenarios. I think just in features, it really kind of depends what kind of writer you are and where you are in your career and. I think a lot of people have a little bit of of a lottery mentality where they're like, oh, I should write one of the great script and it'll sell for a million dollars, which right. is pretty unrealistic. You know, for a first-time writer to sell a screenplay for that is is pretty unlikely. It's not to say it doesn't happen, but when I look back at the last few big spec sales, which happened, on, unfortunately, on, on the million-dollar level more and more infrequently, the people who sold them, Lisa Joy, um, who had been a TV writer for a long time, um, Gary Spinelli, who wrote Mina, um, he had sold scripts before, not or anything near clear the amount of money, but you know these were not. And I'm trying to think of the other ones. Um, you know they do happen on occasion, Winter's Night, etc. But more often than not, you know they're kind of rare anyhow. But just to back up even beyond that, it's like the real question is like, what are you aiming for? You know, what are you looking to do? And I think. You know, it's one of those things where I think you want to write what you're kind of best suited to. And if you are not the kind of person necessarily who writes inherently commercial material, and if you're writing, it's better to write something really less commercial that's really interesting to read and, and speaks to your voice than to write, try to write something commercial that, that you're doing badly. In an ideal world, if you're writing something incredibly commercial and you can do it really well, that, that's great if you're Jamie Vanderbilt, you know, mm-hmm. writing basic right out of film school. Um, you know, but a really good example, uh, you know, of kind of, you know, more offbeat is someone like John August who wrote Go. Right. Um, you know, which I, I would hope would still get made today, but, 
you know, certainly would be a script that people would love, 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 and would end up on, on the blacklist and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and it launched him into a career where he would write Charlie's Angels and Big Fish and is, you know, a phenomenal, phenomenal writer and has a great podcast and all that kind of stuff as well. has been a kind of a great mentor to a lot of people. But he started off with a script that was not inher- would not inherently be commercial, something like Go. Um, and so I think, you know, that is, if you want to write the thing that's best for your voice. Now, to also speak to kind of the elephant in the room is I, I do think the, the blacklist is profoundly changed to some degree the way that a, a newer writer can break in or, or get more attention. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not to say that, you know, as much as, as I expect, this is, we're talking about here about the blacklist um, as a, a list, a year, an annual ranking of the best screenplays of the year, right. uh, screenplays of the year, as opposed to the website. But you know, that is something where you'll see, you know, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, a good friend of mine, Adam Perry, um, represents a writer uh, called Alexis Jolly, who wrote a great script called Welcome to the Neighborhood that was about Mr. Rogers. It didn't have getting option, but it still would not be the world's most commercial material. But it got on the blacklist. It got a lot of attention because it kind of had a really catchy kind of, everyone wants to read a screenplay of Mr. Rogers. Right. I'd rather read that than reading a kind of generic action script. So everyone read it. Everyone recognized what a phenomenal writer Alexis is. And that has led, you know, to, I think, it, I'm not sure where he was with his managers or his agents at the time, but it certainly, you know, got on the blacklist and he's sold TV shows since then. And he's a, he makes a living as a working writer because he wrote a script that people were interested to read. And so I think if you, it is, it can sometimes be a little, you know, I read a script about, you know, uh, someone else ended up signing her, but read a, script, a great script about Stephen King and the writing of Carrie. You mm. know, and like that's an interesting top, the topic. Right. Now, would that script ever get made? I seriously doubt, because you probably you wouldn't get the rights to Stephen King, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a familiar subject matter. So as a result of that, people were intrigued by, you know, were intrigued by that. You know, I think for me, I, I'll, I'll give away one of my kind of personal scripts that I'd love to read one day. Um, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of the artist Kanye West. I'd love to read a screenplay about, you know, that moment after he kind of insulted Taylor Swift and, and took, you know, took the microphone leading up to his release of, you know, an album that it was, you know, voted one of the best albums in the last decade, mm-hmm. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. That's an, you could never make that, but I can assure you that if you were to screenplay about Kanye West, that everyone in town or most people in town would want to read it for sheer curiosity alone. Right. And, Having everyone re- want to read your screenplays for a writer who is not—it's not something I would say for a writer that a writer should write if they've ever sold a screenplay, or already have a manager, an agent, necessarily. But if you are someone who is completely outside the industry or trying to make yourself known, if you write it with someone like Kanye West or whoever, then you're kind of—you've got a name. It's like your version of pre-existing IP in a way. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any illusions about selling that screenplay. Then at the very least, you are you have something pretty hooky that people would want to read, and that's half that's almost half the battle. And then hopefully that they like that they'll be like, okay, I want to read it. Then if it's good, they say, I want to meet this person and hear what else they have to do. So that kind of gets you. That's kind of is it gets you in the room, and you know that's that's almost half the battle is getting to getting to meet people. Obviously, writing commercial material, you know, you can't write if you can't make a living off of it. Then then it's, you know you don't want to do that. But it it propels you to the point where you might get agent a manager, an agent out of it, and then you might get you in the room with a bunch of people. And so that's kind of, that's a great thing. But, it, you know, it is one of the things I think you want to proceed kind of carefully because you, you should have the expectation that you're not going to sell this. And, in fact, that's kind of the attraction for people is they're reading something that is really more for fun or for intrigue 
than for, hey, let's make some money off of it. So if you come into it with that attitude, then you can write something pretty interesting that, that people will, be, will certainly will certainly be different from a more straightforward commercial script. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I wanted to mention something. You had brought up uh, John August just briefly, and I just wanted to touch base on that because this is a question we get uh, a lot. Um, John August and his podcast. Um, John August, I, I definitely would not take anything away, and I, his podcast is brilliant, um, and he's a fantastic writer. And what he does, I think his is what he does for writers is fantastic. But he does, at least he has in the past, come out and and I don't want to say bashed managers per se, but he mm. he is definitely was sort of not in favor of them. Um, and I, I think the reason being when he came up. The spec market was different than it is now. A lot of, of of specs are through development. You develop something with a producer, uh, an executive, and that becomes a spec because uh, you sort of work with them on it to develop it as a spec. And so you sort of need the manager to sort of shepherd you through that process rather than just having an agent shotgunning something out. Um, but again, when he came up, I don't think it was the same. Um, and so I, I just, for those writers and we've covered it before but I, I would love to touch base on it again quickly uh for some people who may not have heard some of those uh, uh podcasts that we've done in the past about it uh why does an uh, a writer need an agent and a manager um and yeah, and, and no, oh, go ahead <laughs> sorry guys no i think that's a fair question you know it's something look they both i would say in my experience mm -hmm. agents have a lot of clients. I would say it's normal for an agent to have 30 or 40 clients. And when they have that many clients, their ability to really develop with a client is minimal, you know, um, which is not to say they don't have great insights and can give great notes. I know lots of agents who do. But I think their bandwidth is, is low, is, is, is thinner, as you might imagine. You know, managers are the people who can help you guide your career, help, you know, work with you on scripts on a, on a really hourly, daily basis. Now, I guess the kind of contrast would be like, well, that's what a producer does. But, you know, in my experience, a lot of producers are not particularly, they don't, they don't have the time for that either. What they're looking for is how do I make money? Mm -hmm. And so they get, let's say they get a screenplay that needs a good three months of work into it. Are they going to put that time into working on it? Um, I don't know if they are because they are they're, they could put three months of work into it, but then that might take time away from working on something that's ready to go that they can they can move forward on. You know, I, I think there are some producers who do that. And when I was a producer, I did try purely a producer. I did try to do that, but at the same time, I also knew that at a certain point I needed to hand them off to representation that could build their career that was focused beyond that single project on a larger arc for their career, and exposing them to people who. You know, the, the career is a journey. It's not, I think sometimes people are like, oh, I sell my first big screenplay and then everything's great. It's most assuredly not that. It's it's a bunch of steps on a journey. And even people I know who are, you know, quote-unquote A-list, they're also still figuring out what's the next step in my, if I'm if I'm a writer, can I become a director? If I'm a director, can I also become a producer? You know, if I'm a director, how do I direct my second movie or my third movie? What's the next move? And so I think in the best-case scenario, they're really someone who guides you. And I think... I haven't heard John's, you know, kind of uh, criticism of managers, and I'm sure some of it's rooted in, you know, there are a, the, the management kind of business has exploded, and a lot of it, you know, the, I think what he would say is like, oh, they're executives or they're agents who couldn't make it as as doing that, so now they become managers, and you know, I'm sure some of that is true 
on occasion. Um, but I think you, it, it's like with anyone, if you want to ally yourself, you want to find the good people, not, not the bad people. You want to find the people who you help, you feel like help enhance you and aren't just a, attaching themselves to you or to your projects for that. And so you have to be smart about that. But I think in the best case world, a manager is someone who helps guide the career of someone and provides insight you know, into the marketplace, into how to present yourself, into how to do you know, meetings in a way that I think most agents don't have the time or the bandwidth to, to, to deal with. Their job, simply put, is to get your material, tell you how it fits into the marketplace in a very simple way, like yes or no kind of way, and then find the best way to sell it. That's what they do at, and that's what they're phenomenal at. And there are other people, there are managers, there are agents who are do more of that, but more often than not, they just don't have the time for that, for simple simple, you know, client list reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Boomtown. Congratulations on that. Sure. Um, walk us through the process. Walk us where it's at and uh, and how that all yeah. went down. So it's kind of interesting. You know, it's, it's a, it was a case of, I think I actually might have mentioned it when we were last on the podcast. I mm-hmm. can't remember. You know, the, the writer, really talented writer called Matt King, came to me. Um, through uh, a writer that I was friendly with called Evan Parter, who um, ran to me at a party and heard that I was a manager and said, you got to read this great script. And so I read the script. It was phenomenal. Um, you know, Matt and I started talking, and, and we worked together on the script for a few months, did, you know, a fair amount of work on it, um, and, then, and then took it out. We, you know, we knew it was it's a phenomenal script. Matt's a phenomenal writer, really interesting person, you know, has a great background, but you know, it, it was it was kind of in the vein of Michael Clayton. It's this really smart, driven thriller set in the fracking boom currently going on, mm-hmm. um, and so we knew that was great about it. We had all, all the content, but you know, if you look at the marketplace right now, they don't they don't make a heck of a lot of those movies anymore. And so it was really something where we really had to kind of push for it and get it to the right people. We ended up getting them some phenomenal agents over Paradigm, David Boxerbaum and Robert Bookman, oh, yeah. who I love you know read the script, loves the script. And we're, we're big champions of it. And then, you know, Ryan Christians over at Mark Platt got uh-huh. a, got a hold of the script, and we got and we got to him, and he really really loved it. And he became a champion of it. And we got to Re- Rebecca Arzonian over at Focus, and she became a champion of it as well. And it was one of those things where you know there's so many people who are really loving it that Focus ended up kind of stepping up and saying, hey, this is something that we believe in. They're obviously a phenomenal place for it. Um, I should mention, I think. I can't remember mentioned Ryan Christians is at Mark Platt's company, mm-hmm. um, which is a you know great production company. It's yeah. done some really phenomenal movies that are very much in the vein of Boomtown, um, and so you know it's just one of those things where they kind of step and said, "Hey, we want to do this," and they've historically done movies kind of like this. So it was just a it was a great place um, for it, and so it's really been great in terms of launching Matt's career. Matt's currently working on you know his next spec and his next pilot, and everyone around town has been has, you know, been reading Boomtown. Lots of great meetings have come out of that. And so that's another case. I mean, that was a little more commercial, definitely more commercial than writing a Kanye West script or something like that. But right. it was a script that was, you know, about a specific world, a specific take, and really showed Matt's flair and his style and his background in, in the best possible shape. So it's kind of it's kind of like, honestly, you know, a, a perfect example of how these things can all come together in the best, in the best way possible. Yeah. No, it sounds great. Um I wanted to, to talk because we haven't touched about it in a little while, meaning on the podcast, and it's something that I get them all the time, and I'm, I'm sure you get bombarded with them in, in terms of queries. 
Um, I mean, I've got uh, – it's it's ridiculous. I mean, one, first, we don't accept queries because we're not a management company. We don't – we're not representation. We have, we're not a production company. We don't – and yet we still get dozens of queries a week, which is just mind-boggling that people just – anyway. Um, so I can't imagine how many you get being, you know, obviously a, a... – I get at least three or four a day. Yeah. At least, you know. But I'm actually in favor of them. And, you know, I mean, I think – a well done. I got one in the mail the other day, which was a little funny because you know it seems a little uh, inefficient. Right. Um, but I think a, a smart. I mean, I've 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 worked started working with writers off queer letters. You know, I think Cameron. The last podcast we speak about Scott Carr, my 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 colleague Scott Carr, and I love Scott. How he signed. Uh, yeah, he signed a writer. Um, uh, you know, who wrote a great people called Miss Sloan off of a query letter, and the writer was like, I want to say in South Korea at the time, hmm. and so this great query. This is query letter. You know, Scott read the script, loved it. And that script is now set up with John Madden to direct and Jessica Chastain to star. Wow. So it's a great example, and I'm sure it will be high up in the blacklist. It's a great example of, like, Scott reading a query letter from someone who's way far away and right. had written a script that was not exactly the world's most commercial thing about kind of a lobbyist about gun control, and but it was phenomenal, and, and he signed the, the writer, and you know, now a huge movie star is going to star in it. And so it's... You know, and so that was his kind of great story, and kind of inspired me certainly to look at always look at query letters. And yeah. you know, I started working with a really phenomenal writer that came out through a query letter. And you know, yeah, I would say the majority of them are just not right. Or yeah, and that's you know, I, kind I, of what I wanted to to touch base on because it's right. not that I mean, some people's only form of entry is a query. Uh, you know, other than contests and things like that, which if they didn't do well, maybe they need to look at right. the material. But you know, beside that, I mean, sometimes a great piece of material slips through the cracks, whatever. But, like, I've gotten them that just says query and, you know, in the subject line and on it saying, I'm looking for representation. And that's it. You know, what makes a what makes a good query? I mean, what sh- in an ideal query, what are you hoping right. the subject will say? What are you hoping is in the body of it? Um, yeah. How much is I too should, much? I how much is too like, little? The two ways that I would find clients that wouldn't be coming through friends, I yeah. guess three ways. That would, you know, the obvi- obvious one is, is I get them through friends or, mm-hmm. you know, writers I've worked with or executives. Referrals. That's yeah. probably the number one way, and that's certainly the way that you take it most seriously because sure. it's coming from someone who's safe that you trust. Right. And I found definitely found numerous people. That's probably the majority of the people that I found have been that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I would also say other ways, you know, clearly I just signed a guy out of Austin, the Austin Film Script competition and that was you know that's someone who obviously the guy I mentioned were originally wretched Emily Derringer Chris Devlin so obviously that works I've never done that before but it worked out pretty nicely mm-hmm. um, you know I do check the blacklist I have I've, I've met a writer who I've started working with through the blacklist.com um, you know so that was great so that obviously worked for me and that is something where I, I pay attention to the emails I get from them on a regular basis see if there's anything that fits that seems intriguing to me, mm-hmm. but yeah, query letters are, are another way. And like I said, I started working with with with, uh, with a writer who I met through a query. Uh, you know, I would say when I read them, you know, uh, sometimes people, some people like say I have a screenplay and it's a, a science fiction thing, and like, okay, uh, you know, I would I would tell people a very simple way. I would say, you know, send it. You know, be polite, be specific if you can. You know, one person wrote to tell me that you know they're a big fan of one of my clients' movies, Cheap Thrills. Another one said he'd read a script that I'd set up at Fox called Capsule, you know, which is great. You're like, oh, okay, this person knows who I am. That's mm-hmm. useful. You sure, know? sure. They, you know, if someone's saying me a romantic comedy or a Western, I don't really do those, you know, which isn't to say I wouldn't ever do them, but, like, I'm certainly not the first person I think he would come to. Um, but, so, you know, being 
having making sure that it kind of fits within the vein of what I've primarily done previously is probably a smart thing to do. Um, then, you know, list the title, say what it's about in one or two sentences. It, if you really can't explain what it is in one or two sentences, either you need to figure out how to write a log line or, or more likely than not, the concept of your, of your, of your, con- of your project is way too complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's it, really. It's, you know, and the, the truth is I don't respond, and if I don't respond to it, either, you know, I didn't see it or, or, you know, it wasn't right for me or, or something like that. You know, it's, it's, but, you know, you look at them and you're like, okay, this is something that, there's something interesting there. You know, more often than not, the queries that I, I've responded to, you know, are just not right. But, you know, most scripts that you read are, are not right for you. But I would, you know, put it pretty simply what your concept is. If it's in the vein of anything else, that's always helpful. You know, I see this as being in the vein of Nightcrawler. I see this in the, being in the vein of Drive. I see this being in the vein of um, Zero Dark Thirty. That's mm-hmm. always helpful. Um, but really, you're just looking at it and being like, well, you're, uh, what, I'm, what I'm thinking when I read that logline is very simple. Is if I, have, if I like this screenplay and I have to repeat this logline or a version of this logline to an agent or an executive somewhere, are they going to be like, oh, I can either A, is that really interesting, or B, oh, I can see this movie getting made? Mm-hmm. Because if it's not one of those things that more often than not, they feel the, lo- the loglines feel generic or they feel boring, right. you know? It's like so-and-so goes on a, goes on a journey cross-country to discover who they are while tagging along with their, their, you know, their best, funny best friends. Like, you know, who cares? Right. You know? So if it's specific to a particular world, has a really unique way in, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that if I like it, I can basically either I can get people to read it. So Emily Derringer, that was a really dark, weird script, but it's really, really well written. It's very unique, you know? Um, so that was interesting, you know, and so you, or, or something that you're like, oh, wow, that's an I- interesting commercial idea. Basically, you're looking for something that if, you, if, if other people read that log line, they'd say, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to read that. Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking for. Very simply, it's like, do I get excited about it? Do I get intrigued by it? And for those few, again, we're dare, going really to the base level here. Uh, for those uh, newer writers out there who really aren't familiar with what a logline really is, uh, maybe you could explain what is a logline. A logline is one or two sentences. I, I'm personally not like obsessive about it has to be one perfect sentence. Right. It's one or two sentences that defines what your script is about. So we're doing the logline for Michael Clayton. I'm just going to try and make it up in the spot. Okay. Would be, you know. A lawyer, a fixer lawyer, um, while while investigating, you know, while investigating a, a colleague's disappearance or while investigating a colleague's case, becomes convinced that there are larger forces at work behind his disappearance and and apparent suicide. Hmm. And I don't know if that really works because his suicide is like halfway through the movie. Right. But um, you know, that's on the off the top or like Goodwill Hunting, you know, a genius level IQ Salvi dropout, right? You know. Uh, has to, you know, struggle to find his place in the world while working with a therapist. Right. To be fair, that sounds kind of crazy when I logline it that way. Um, but, you know, very simply, you're looking, how do I explain my concept in one or two sentences? If you're sending me a paragraph, A, I, I don't have time to read through it, and B, if you can't get your, your script down to more than one or, down to one or two sentences, it doesn't really speak greatly to your writing ability anyhow. Right, Absolutely. Um, you, like you said, you have to distill it down to essentially what is the the story about. Um, and if you can't do yeah, that, really either your idea is not the- not not fully formed enough, or you just are not good at that. Yeah. 
What were you going to say? I mean, I would say the first half of the script. You have to think of, think of your logline almost as a trailer, you know? Yeah. So, like, if at the end of the movie it's, re- it's revealed, like, the logline for The Sixth Sense is not, uh, you know, a therapist who actually died right. uh, starts working with a young boy who believes he sees ghosts. Like, you right. wouldn't give away, you'd say, like, a therapist, you know, a, uh, you know, a, 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 you know um, a scarred child therapist begins working with a young boy who confesses, who confesses, you know, something, um, you know, unexpected. He can see ghosts. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Okay, that seems interesting. Or you think of like, the, the logline for something like Sinister, you're like, you know, a, uh, an, a true crime author moves into the house where a, you know infamous murder, be, you know, happened and begins to suspect that something supernatural caused those murders. Mm-hmm. Um. What was I going to ask next? Um, oh, what? How much is too much in terms of the query letter? Other than the logline, what sort of information should be in there? What is relevant and what is not relevant? You know, if you live in Los, I would say I'm going to, I'm going to tell you most people are are ten. One of the first questions I get when 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 somebody reads a client of mine is, are they local? Mm-hmm. Um, people are very because if someone's local, it demonstrates one of it demonstrates two things. First, it's easy to meet with them. You know, they can the the executive can meet with them pretty easily, um, and the, the, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, if you live in LA and you're a screenwriter, it means you're hopefully serious about your craft. If you mm-hmm. live somewhere else, it doesn't mean that you're not serious, but it does mean that you haven't you're not so serious as you haven't moved to LA. Right. That does mean that you, you know you can't work with people outside of LA. I, I definitely work with people outside of LA, but it does indicate. That yes, you know, I am a local, which makes it a, it just makes it a lot easier to to develop that person's career as opposed to them coming up for a week or two weeks for um, cramming all their meetings into one week or two weeks. So saying that you're local, that's useful. Mm-hmm. If you've had any produced credits, that's useful. And a lot of people are like, I placed third in this obscure film competition you've never heard of. <laughs> I guess that's useful, but I really don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, I think if you were a nickel semifinalist or a finalist. Well, if you're a finalist, I would have heard you, but, right. you know, um, but if you're a semifinalist, that's interesting, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. people, a lot of people are like, I got a really great review in the blacklist, right. or someone on the blacklist said this in my script, and I, and I guess that's useful, but the truth is I'm going to make 90% of my decisions just based on a log line, right. based on your log line. It doesn't really matter what competitions you want or what the, the blacklist said, blacklist.com said, um, if the log line doesn't appeal to me. If it does appeal to me, those kind of embolden me to respond to it. You know, mm-hmm. and then I'll read. You know, I'll get sent. Oh, at that point, I'll send a release out. I'll, I'll read. Hopefully, read the script, and you know, really, I'll honestly, I'll make my judgment call on the, based on the first act, and you know, beyond that. But like, I would say within the first, you know, fifteen, twenty, thirty pages, I know whether or not I'm going to jump on the phone or have a meeting with this person because I know the level of writer. I know whether they. If you haven't gotten to what the, if you haven't really gotten to what your logline described by page thirty, then there's probably a problem going on later right. on in the script. Right. Um. Now, what about background? Like some people in queries that I've gotten give me their whole life story. And I know obviously that's a bad thing. You you only need what's super, super important. But let's say somebody's background ties into what they are writing. Perhaps it's a medical thriller and they're a former doctor or medical student or whatever. That's helpful. You know, I mean, like my client, Matt King, who wrote Boomtown, he uh, has a law degree. He was a journalist Mm. previously. That was that's pretty interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a writer I was talking to who was a uh, a JAG, you know, a Navy JAG. Oh yeah, that was really interesting. 
Um, I was talking to another lawyer who was a uh, sorry another another writer who was a um, U.S. attorney. That was interesting, mm-hmm. you know. So I think if you have a have a, have a unique profession, hey, that's interesting. It doesn't mean that you're a good writer, right? But it does mean, especially, it's a little weird. If someone's like, hey, what's up? I'm a U.S. attorney, and this is my wacky comedy about two mismatched brothers. Well, okay, that has no bearing. But if you've written something that it, you know springs from your experience. That's always interesting. I mean, it's probably not going to turn a good script into a bad script, but if it's a good script, it might give it a little more veracity or verisimilitude, you know? Right. A friend of mine is a former LAPD homicide detective, and, you know, he, he's written numerous screenplays about, uh, you know, cops, and people certainly give him a lot more leeway because he used to be one, um, which is always intriguing. Um, so it helps. It You know, it's... It's always helpful. You know, anything, anything that kind of speaks to your narrative is helpful, but again, 90% of it's going to be the logline. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and what about releases? Meaning, uh, I don't know if you send them out. I know a lot of, of reps do. Yeah, whenever and, whenever I whenever I want to read a query letter, I'll, I'll ask people to sign a release. Yeah. Yeah. And I get questions from uh, writers saying, hey, they just sent me a release, which basically sounds like they can take my idea, which obviously isn't the case. But um, what Y'all what should they? What should people, writers, know about these releases? Obviously, it's for your protection because you know, we're, we live in a very litigious society. I mean, you know, it's, society, you it's a little annoying if you ask for a release about, let's see, you know, someone's like, oh, I wrote a screenplay about a, a father who kills his son. Right. And you're like, oh, you, you, you read the screenplay and you're like, that's oh, not very good. Then three or four years later, you're like, oh, I'm working this screenplay, and in it, one of the characters is a father who happens to kill his son, and then you get sued by that person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what you're. Unfortunately, you know, you know, in the industry, people are very aware that ideas are cheap and execution is everything. But unfortunately, I think there is a concept out there that people in Hollywood are stealing ideas. And you know, I've been in this industry for 15 years. I've never seen anyone steal ideas. And I say that as someone who's producing a Robin Hood movie while there's three other Robin Hood movies that are currently out there. Right, right. Um, which, to be fair, Robin Hood is a public domain character who's one of the most famous heroes in, you know, English literature. So, but, you know, I, I don't think, people just don't steal ideas because, you know, it's just, it's, 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 I could, I could tell you an idea, but then the chances of you writing it the same way as I'm going to write it and it being at the same level are just, it's, it's much easier if someone's written a good idea, written an even if you've written like a half good idea, it's not 100 percent there. It's a lot easier to to to, to talk, work with that writer, option that screenplay, and try to make it better, or, or whatever the situation might be. And I've done that before, by the way. Then to like, ha ha ha, I'll steal it. Like right. people just aren't interested in that way. People, it actually doesn't make economic sense when you think about it. If someone's already written a screenplay that has that thing in there, why wouldn't you just option that script? Especially if it's a new writer. It's, it doesn't make any sense because who wants to start from – do you understand how long it takes – I'm not saying you, Kevin, but right. people it, – it takes like six to nine months to a year to write a screenplay. Right. It takes a long, long time to write a screenplay. And so the idea that people would steal – I understand that it's out there, but like it happens pretty rarely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it has happened. I just never experienced it. And the truth is most people – you know, I was having dinner with a friend of mine who was um, – uh, you know, a writer in Mad Men, and, and has made a great living as a as a as a as a writer. And we were talking. He was talking about one of the, the biggest lessons he ever learned was he was an intern at Scott Rudin, and he would be for you know asked to do coverage, and he would read these screenplays and do coverage, and he'd be like, oh, these aren't any good. And he'd go to the assistant who signed the coverage, and be like, hey, so are these people? Is this like a slush pile? 
which is what people call the pile of, uh, you know, back when people used to print out screenplays mm-hmm. of like scripts that just get sent in, like on on ask for. It's like, oh no, all these people have agents and lawyers and managers, and like these are big prominent people, and these are people who you know were repped at huge agencies. And he's like, that's when I realized that. There is no conspiracy out there against good material. People really, really, really want good material, you know? And, you know, when we kind of talk about that, because I think there is a perception out there among some writers of, like, oh, my screenplay is great, that, like, the right people just haven't read it yet. Right. Or that there's some kind of conspiracy against, you know, my idea, or they're trying to keep, you know, my idea. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God, people are desperate for great screenplays and great ideas. Wow, you, the moment they hear them, the moment they read them, I mean, you saw it with this Emily Derringer script, which within three weeks we got them signed at a major agency. Man, when people read something that they like, they move really, really fast, you know? And, and that's, like, that's the good thing is that people are out there. And so if people are not responding to your screenplay, I understand that you want to keep getting it to a bunch of people. But the truth is if something's good, people tend to respond to it, and maybe your time would be better spent rather than agonizing over getting it to, like, the, the 13th, 15th, 16th, 20th manager or agent writing a new screenplay. You know, I've, I've certainly had projects that we've taken out that, you know, they didn't sell, and I thought they were going to sell. But at a certain point, once you've taken to enough people and had passes from enough people, you're like, oh, okay, you know, maybe they know something I don't, and you, you try to look at it and you try to learn from it, rather than trying to pin it to some conspiracy going on be like, okay, What's going on here? What are people not responding to? And how do I fix that in future scripts? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, talking about fixing up scripts, let's say a writer gets to a point where they believe their script is good, if not great. Well, you know, it should be great, not good. Okay, let's just say they feel it's great. It's ready to they go out. They feel like they've gone as far as they can with it. It's great. Right. Everyone, you know, they, don't, they don't know how to, how to make it any better. Right. But for whatever reason, maybe the next step would often be either to use a script consultant or send it to a contest or the blacklist or something like that. But let's say for whatever reason, they still believe this is a great script, but maybe they feel like a lot of people do. A lot of writers who haven't gotten that that those great reviews. No one responds to is what you're saying. Correct. What what should their next step be? Be? Should they just dump they it in one new script? There we go. <laughs> I think that's probably, look, it all boils down to concept. That's the really hard thing that when I talk to young writers or up and coming writers about it really, and you pro, it's kind of like building a house. And I may have used this analogy before. It's like you can build the most beautiful house, but if you build it in the middle of nowhere or if you build it in quicksand, it doesn't really matter, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to go back to be like, you know, the phrase that Ian Shore, one of my clients and I use a lot, is like, is it undeniable? And you've got to keep pushing at it and working at it until that concept is undeniable, until it feels like a movie that people... And by that, I don't just mean like, a lot of people are like, well, look, it's just as good as like this other thing that's on thing. I'm like, yeah, because it's exactly the same. <laughs> I went to a recently, and someone's like, yeah, I want to do a TV show with Vegas in the 50s. And we were like, oh, you mean like that TV show Vegas? That was set in the 1950s, that got canceled last year? She's like, yeah, but like different. And it's like, you know, it's like, no, it doesn't, no, it already failed. Give us something new. Right. Give us something different, you know, and and that's what it's got to be. And I think the best kind of writer, you know, one of, I, I signed a writer and he'd written two, two screenplays that were, they were good, but they were flawed on a conceptual level. And so I sat down with him and I said, hey, I really like these scripts. I think you're a fantastic writer, but I'd like us to figure out something new together that is more commercial. And he said, that's great. 
those scripts were, were there to find, to find you and to get you. Now let's work on something new. You know, as opposed to saying, no, you're wrong. These screenplays are genius. You just don't recognize the genius yet. I mean, like, the only way a manager makes money is by, you know, if, you, if the writer sells anything. I don't get paid until the writer gets paid. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have any secret agenda. If anything, I would probably try to, if I was so inclined, I would take both of them out and, and throw them against the wall and hope that one of them sticks somewhere and makes some money for me. But if I'm taking the long road around something, it's because I believe that there's talent, but the concept isn't, isn't there yet. So if people aren't responding to something and you feel like it's really great, that's all well and good. You should write something. I'd write a new script and, and make sure that the concept feels really interesting and really different and really unique, you know, mm-hmm. and doesn't feel generic, doesn't feel like something's in the marketplace. Don't be like it's nonstop like it's on a train, you know, like ugh, no one gets excited about that. You know, write something unique and, and intriguing, and that way, if you do get representation off of that script, you can be like, hey, by the way, there's this other script that I always really loved, but no one really responded to. What do you think? And you give it to your manager or your agent, and then they can be like, hey, yeah, you're right, this is great. Or I'm going to tell you more likely, they're like, hey, this is cool, but there's something that's sold six months ago that's just like it, or it just doesn't feel special enough. Right. And they'll tell you what the issue was that people were having with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, talking about something that's the concept may be flawed or not as unique or interesting as it needs to be in the current marketplace, but something where the writing is strong. And, you know, by that you mean the dialogue is snappy, it's well-paced, the the descriptions, you can tell that they're a good writer. Have you repped clients or would you consider a client like that that has a piece of material that you feel may not be ready or may not be up your alley, but you know that just from what you've read, you feel that they're a good writer. Yeah, I mean, the client I just, re- I just mentioned is one, is one of those people who'd written some stuff that was, you know, felt a little bit like a great indies, 90, 90s kind of independent movie, kind of, you know, movies that would come out in the vein of after, you know, Quentin Tarantino had made his mark. It felt a little, it's, the concept felt a little small, but it, he was really, really talented. So he and I started working together. And one thing that I really liked about him was that he immediately got what, where we were going from. And he's just a phenomenal guy to work with. Um, you know, and then that's the attitude I think you've got. If, if someone's a good writer, but they don't have, you can't make money from them immediately, well, then they should have a good attitude because if they don't have a good attitude, man, it's going to be a real uphill battle making that <laughs> commercial thing. So I've definitely signed people on that, but part and parcel of them being good writers, I need them to have a collaborative attitude and to trust me because if they don't have that, it doesn't matter how talented they are. You know, if I'm not going to make money from them and no one's going to make money from them, that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've definitely signed people like that. Um, it definitely, it, it, 100% it happens. You know, it happens more often than not. I've only, I'm trying to think, only two or three times have I taken out a script that like, was given to me kind of, you know, yeah, two times Emily Derringer, which is the script we're currently out with. Um, and then another script that I found off a query letter, you know, we did a little bit of work on, on Emily Derringer, a really tiny amount of work, a really tiny amount of work on Emily Derringer, and a small amount of work on this other script, kind of trim the length. On Boomtown, we did about three to four months worth of work, so that, there was a fair amount of work on there, but I, having read the original script, I knew there was something really great in there and commercial, mm-hmm. um, and so we did do some, we did do a fair amount of work on that one, but I knew that there was something there. So, the, but those are the three times I've taken out something that came into me. You know, every other client has written something. You know, I had a client who wrote a great, really amazing pilot, but the pilot was about, 
you know, a super a world where superheroes, where there were cops who were kind of going after superheroes, and superheroes were like not DC or Marvel people; they were kind of like superheroes that the writer created. And so it was a really, really great pilot, if not for the fact that Shield is on the air and Powers is on the air, right. and there's all the Marvel series, and there's you know just just a lot of there's a lot of superhero things that were kind of already out Gotham that were based around actual superheroes in the DC and Marvel universe who are well known. So he's really, I mean, he also is just a really phenomenal writer, you know, writing a lot of great stuff. But that was the situation where I was like, look, this is great, but I can't do anything with it. You know, I wish I'd repped you early enough to be able to tell you, please don't write this. Right. Um, but it was, it's a great script and it's a great writing sample. It's a phenomenal writer. Unfortunately, it's just one of those things where in the commercial marketplace, it just wasn't going to fit. And that's right. what you see more often than not. I mean, sometimes you see a script that's like just commercially not, you know, just doesn't, the concept, concept just doesn't work. But a lot of times you read a script and you're like, look, this, this is good script, but like, it just doesn't fit what the marketplace is looking for. Because either there's a plethora of other material like in the marketplace, or it's a little dated, you know? Right. Now, you were talking a little bit about um, coming in with a good attitude. Uh, what are some of the, the characteristics or personality traits that writers you want to work with have, or writers you don't want to work with have, so to speak? Sure. Um, I would say the first one is just, you know, being a collaborative person. And I don't mean in that sense that you have to be like, say, agree that everything I say is right. In fact, I'd prefer it if you don't, because otherwise it ends up a scenario where it's just, I'm just dictating. You know, I'm saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. But, you know, if I say something, I'm like, hey, I think we need our first act to be shorter, you don't have to say yes, sir, yes, sir. But you can say, okay, cool, well, like, what if I did this? And I'm like, well, let's make, I would never say let's make our first act shorter, just do it. I'd be like, you know, I think we can trim this, I think we can get rid of that, I think we can get rid of the VO, we can cut the flash forward or whatever. Um, and the writers would say, oh, yes, I completely agree with you, but they could say, okay, I see what you're saying, but actually I think this is important, so what if I did this? Mm -hmm. So actually something I learned working, you know, in development and with other people is you don't want to tell someone their note is stupid, but you do want to say, okay, I hear what the root of your note is, but maybe the solution is something different. So that's the first thing I would say is, a, you know, it's, a collaboration to me really means a conversation where both parties have something to say. Um, I'd say the second thing that's important is, is trust, you know. And if I'm telling you that the mar this doesn't work in the marketplace, you know, trust me on that level, you know. Right. And because I'm, you know, I'm aware of the marketplace. I track it. I'm aware of what's going on there. I'm aware of what people are looking for. So I think in a certain sense, you have to trust your rep. And the moment you stop trusting your rep and don't believe what they have to say, that's, that's where a real problem kind of occurs. Um, you know, and then I think, and this is kind of part of parcel, the first one is like coming to things with a point of view, you know. If, if the reason I signed you is because you had a strong voice and you had a strong point of view, please keep that, keep that up and keep saying what you think and what you think you're best at writing. And if... I'm saying, hey, look at the sci-fi thing. You're like, no, I don't think that's right for me. I want to try this. That, you know, that, that's good as long as you're aware that I can be like, okay, I understand that, but here's why that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, so ha maintaining a point of view, which I guess is part and parcel of being a good collaborator. I would say the, the bad qualities are just kind of the flip of that, you know. You know, I've, I've sat down with writers who have been like, you know, I've written this pilot and it's great. And I'm like, okay, well, it needs work. And they go, well, I can't change that because that's going to happen in the fourth or fifth episode. And this is someone who doesn't have an agent or a manager and has never sold anything or written anything, and at least in terms of getting produced. And you're saying, no, it doesn't really matter what happens in the fourth episode of your, you know, theoretical TV show because no one's going to read the, no one's going to read past the first episode if we don't get it right. 
Um, and so, I, or, or arguing about the marketplace and saying, oh no, it doesn't matter, zombie movies, you know, the world needs another zombie movie as long as there's great characters in it. You know, I mean, that's the kind of issues that you run into where people are fundamentally opposed to certain basic realities of the marketplace. Um, or I would say the worst one that I've really encountered is, and none of my clients are like this, um, you know, kind of what I would call a good enough attitude, which is, oh, hey, you know, I'm like, oh, we need to do more work on this, or I think we can push this further, and the client's are like, no, 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 let's get in the marketplace. It's good enough. It's good enough. Right. And, you know, it's so hard right now in the marketplace. It's so difficult. Things sell on such a rare basis. And I've had, a, you know, a fair amount of success. You know, I took out a couple of things this year, and both of them got set up. Um, you know, and the reason for that is we worked really, really hard to make them as good as possible. And, you know, good enough material just, it, it sinks in a, in a in a world where every where everyone is, you know. I said everyone is looking for good material, but at the same time, people are very easy to pass because they feel like if it's not good enough, then they can't really make a case for it. So, you know, if someone's go, ah, yeah, it's good, it's fine. We we've done enough work on it, and you'll see this sometimes where you've been working on a script for like six to nine months or, or longer, and you're right near the finish line. They're like, no, no, that's fine. Let's get let's get this on the marketplace. I'm done with this. And, you know, I've seen it kind of early on in my producing career. And, you know, it'd it just be a little problematic because you know that you, f- you certainly feel like if we just put some more work into it, um, that we could, we, we could really, you know, we could really, we could give it a better shot at selling, a better shot at being a great sample for you and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, all my clients are, are people who I believe are, are, you know, don't say good enough. They say, I mean, I might be satisfied with it. And then they come back and say, you know what? Actually, I was looking at that, and I think I can push it further. Those are the kind of people I want to be in business with because they are not satisfied with good enough. They want to be great, and that's the only way you succeed as a writer is bringing your A game every single time. The moment you slack, the moment you think it's fine or it's good enough, man, the marketplace is going to eat you alive, and there's a bunch of other people out there who are pushing themselves hard and working really hard and you know, pushing their scripts who will take your place theoretically. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think there's that's part of the mentality of, oh, I saw this movie and it sucked. I could write better than that. So, And they write their screenplay, and all of a sudden they think, well, it's better than that. So, you know, why should I have to spend, you know, a whole year working on it and do, keep doing right. rewrites? It's fine. It's better than that thing that was made. But that's not the right. mentality. It's a really you would... problematic kind of attitude. Cause yeah. Just, you know, it's just nobody gets excited about a writer who's like, eh, it's good enough. And it, right. it shows in your writing. It, it just shows. Mm-hmm. It just shows. Yeah, it shows in the queries that we can't. Yeah, well, people think, I think, unfortunately, there was a mentality that arose, I would say, in the 80s and 90s, in the time of Shane Black and Joe Esterhaz yeah. and these million-dollar spec sales, that people sort of view screenplays and ideas for movies as lottery tickets. Right. And so they're like, these are people who are, may not be professional about writing, but they kind of flood it, and, and they're like, oh, here's this idea, and it's very simple. It's like this, it's Wolf of Wall Street, but it's with a drug dealer. And you're like, okay. Eh? You know, and like right. it's very simple, like that. I mean, it actually sounds more intriguing than your <laughs> the generic kind of stuff. Um, it's usually, like I said, it's usually it's like nonstop, but on a train, and you're like, okay, but like, what's well, it's like nonstop made a lot of money, so therefore my nonstop on a train idea should make a lot of money, right? You know, and you're like, ah, but like, no, um, no one's excited about that. Like, yeah. I think the very basic thing to understand with people in the film industry is like. If you want to make a lot of money, there's a lot easier ways to do it. So people who are in this business do it because they love it. 
and nobody wants to do a script just because it's a piece of business, you know? Right, right. You know, non-stop, people read, you know, just to use non-stop example, that was a spec, um, you know, it sold, it got rewritten, and but it was always something people were like, hey, I think this is really cool, I think this is really interesting, and by the way, it's quite a good movie, and to my mind, and, you know, got a really interesting director, got Liam Neeson, got a whole host of really cool actors, mm-hmm. character actors in it, Julianne Moore, and, you know, people like, people didn't think, oh, this is just speed on a plane, which I guess they might have from the concept. Um, but, like, it, it was more than that. And so I think nobody ever wants to do something just because it's a piece of business, which I think sometimes, unfortunately, you know, some kind of writers outside the business or people who aspire, aspire to be writers in a very technical sense um, see, they're like, oh, well, this is, this is cool. This is, it's like people who go on Shark Tank and have, like, an idea that's very, like, generic, you know? Right. It's like, well, whatever, it's fine. Everyone has this issue. And, you know, like they say, it's like, I don't feel like you've, you've solved a problem that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. The same thing with, like, you know, nonstop on a train, which I keep pitching so much that I'm sure I'll just eventually produce it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's like, it's, who cares, really, right. you know? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's kind of the, those are the, the negative things that I've, I've certainly seen, you know, more, you know, less often than not, which is a good thing. I, I try to surround myself with really fantastic writers, and the, the good news is there's a lot of people out there who are. Right. Someone's going to query you. Uh, this is like nonstop on a train. Just kidding. Um, right. You know, someone's yeah, query I'm sure, you I'm 100% sure I will get that <laughs> at some point, and then I'll be like, oh, actually, sounds kind of intriguing. Um, uh, now, one of the things that I noticed, too, is when people – we get queries sometimes that say, oh, I'm looking for representation as a screenwriter, blah, 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 whatever, which is fine. But then I also get the queries that obviously go back to that lottery mentality, like I need someone to help sell my script. You know they're not looking to yeah, be a writer. They just want to sell – Right. They just want to sell that script, and that in and of itself Most is just a people are never going to listen to anything to say anyways. No, so. no. I mean – that, that's a wrong thing to do, but I think anyone in their right mind would know it's a wrong thing to do. It's like walking up to someone on the street and be like, hey, give me some money. Right. It's not going to work, probably, but but nothing you could say could ever ta- stop people from saying that. You know? Right. And, and you anyone, know, anyone who thinks of, thinks of this is like, anyone who comes at this from a very base mentality of like, I'm going to send a foul. I mean, I get, I get these things that are like, dear sir or madame, my screenplay is right. really brilliant and really smart, and it is about a Texas Ranger who hunts down a serial killer please send me here that you will not be disappointed. This is one of the best things I've ever read. And it's like, well, number one, okay. Number one, it sounds stupid. <laughs> number two, it wasn't tailored to me, so it doesn't, I feel no onus to respond or, or right. consider this seriously in any way. If you don't take, if you don't take it seriously, why should I take it seriously? Mm-hmm. And it probably, if you are taking even a query letter seriously, then what chance does the screenplay have? Probably right. not much. Right, right. I mean, people look for you, how you are in the slightest, in the slightest way that you approach things. You know, if you approach, you know, if, if I have a meeting with someone and they're at a first meeting with someone and they're very kind of confrontational and aggressive, why would I have a second meeting with them? Why would I be in a scenario down the road where I would put them in front of my friends and, and people that I trust and people whose opinions are important to me if they've already kind of been a jerk to me or been confrontational with me via email or via you know, phone calls or via in person. Why would I ever do that? It just has a chance of really blowing up in my face. Right. You know, so people look for how you interact as kind of a model for for how you kind of approach writing and also approach your career because you don't, the thing that these people who treat it like a, a lottery ticket don't realize is like, 
let's say, let's just say that any of these people sold an idea for a million dollars. You know, they're like, wow, you're so great. Nonstop on a train is the most brilliant idea ever. <laughs> you know, let's, here's a million dollars. Well, then what, right? Mm-hmm. Then what? Then you're just going to like, you got an agent and the agent's just going to be, do you think agent's going to be like, okay, man, I got you writing Mission Impossible 7. It just, you know, it's a long, long journey where you want to get relationships and you build up a career, you know, assignment by assignment, which, by the way, assignments are rare, but really script by script is what I should have said. Mm-hmm. You know, you build it script by script by script by script. You won't get to the point where, like, oh, have you, re- are you going to read the new, you know, XY script, the new script by this guy or this girl? Yeah, I'm so excited to read it. They're so talented. Wow, I can't wait for that. Make sure you get that to me first. That's what you want. You want to get fans out there, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and people who want to work with you, and that's how you build a career, not by like one genius idea that's like some kind of lottery ticket mentality. Right. Absolutely. Um, we also get a lot of emails and questions from writers asking, "Oh, I hear TV's easier to break into than features. Uh, should I'll I be writing?" I'll you right the- there. It's <laughs> way harder to break into features. Way, 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 way harder. Uh, I'll give you an example. Okay, Diablo Cody writes Juno, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to be fair, Diablo has already worked with Mason Novick at that point because Mason had read her blog and, and she sent her the, him the, blog, the book Candy Girl and he sold it. But anyway, she writes Juno. Now, Juno's pretty great. And so it sold as a feature, but it didn't matter that Diablo was some nobody who'd never written a script before from Nowheresville. Like, it, it sold. Or, like, one of my best friends, um, Will Bell, who I've worked with numerous times, wrote the movie Gangster Squad. Mm-hmm. This is going to make some people jump off a bridge, but Gangster Squad was the second screenplay Will had ever written in his entire life. Wow. The first screenplay, L.A. Rex, which adapted his novel, was, like I think, number seven on the blacklist, the same year as The Social Network. That was the first screenplay he'd ever written in his entire life. You know? Mm-hmm. And uh, to be fair, Will was a former cop, which I think lent to kind of some verisimilitude there, but he's, he's a phenomenal writer, and it's a phenomenal book, and it's a phenomenal screenplay, and he's made a phenomenal career of it. Mm-hmm. And he's one of my best friends, but I also, and someone I've worked with on two projects, but I personally think he's one of the best writers living today. So, you know, but my point is that even if Will hadn't written some amazing screenplay, I don't know that it would have sold, and I don't know what he, he would have gone directly into working TV. I mean, when I met him, he was working as a TV writer um, on this TV show, Castle, mm-hmm. but, like, he wasn't writing his own his own TV show necessarily yet. You know, I mean, he's recently sold um, Training Day as a TV show, but that's coming off of him being a feature writer, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I mean, he may have or he may not have, but I think it's really, really hard. It's both those both those people I mentioned came from outside of the industry and wrote a great screenplay because a screenplay is like a one kind of a, a finished kind of closed off thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Whereas a TV show, to make it profitable, you need to get to 80 episodes. What makes you think that, you know, Diablo Cody coming straight off of, you know, no, of just writing a novel at that point, Juno had been a TV show, I and mean, maybe she would have sold it because she's such a phenomenal writer, but maybe she wouldn't have because people are going to say, wow, can this person get us to 80 episodes? Now, after Juno got made and was phenomenal, and I think she'd written a couple of things that had sold, she got a TV show called United States of Tara. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was great. And so, but at that point, she already had proven that she had a voice. And I think they brought on a showrunner to work with her at that point anyhow. you know. Mm-hmm. And so TV is a lot harder to break into because why do they believe in you? So that's, that's, that's actually selling a TV show. But to break into it at a staff writer level is pretty tricky as well because those people are going to be working with you for if the cable show, 10 to 13 episodes. 
if it's a network show, 20 to 24 episodes? And why do they believe you in the room is someone they want to spend being in the room from 10 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night or, not, or later for five days a week for nine to ten months? Right. You know? So it's a lot harder to break into. doesn't mean that they're not finding really amazing voices. You know, I believe Halt and Catch Fire, which I think is a phenomenal mm-hmm. show, yeah. um, one of my favorite shows, that was a spec pilot, you know? So these things do occur. Sure. But if there's an idea out there that it's easy and features, that is demonstrably not true. Anyone can sell a feature, theoretically. Anyone can sell a feature. But to sell a TV show as a nobody, that's a lot harder. To get staffed as a nobody, it's a long journey. It's like a two- to three-year journey to become a staff writer to sell that first TV show to get fans out there. Because they have to believe in you and believe in that concept and believe that they can get to 80 episodes or 100 episodes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely easier to sell something like a feature where they sell it, they can have someone come on and rewrite, and then you go, as opposed to a pilot, which you wrote, and then they'd have to get a showrunner to come on board and actors and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's not there's more there, there are a lot of TV shows but the idea that it's easy to break into TV that is I I, I would put it, this is a very simple way to put it. It's easier to break into features than it is to break into television. It's easier to have a longer career in television than it is in features cuz features are very much what have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm. You're writing, you know, you're working on 3 to 4, you know, 3 maybe 4 scripts a year as a feature but you're trying to get those assignments, you're trying to sell a spec et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas TV, I think once you start working in it, once you've had one or two staff jobs, you know, you're kind of part of the infrastructure. People trust you. But that's why it's so hard to break into television is because once you're in there, you know, more often than not, you can make a long career of it. Mm-hmm. But you kind of, if you've been there for a couple of seasons, a couple of shows, you're kind of pre-approved. But to get pre-approved, you really, really have to work hard. You have to earn your place at the table. Right, Absolutely. Um, and I do have one other question that I've actually, it's one of the first times that I've ever seen it is, um, and, uh, a writer who is also an actor, uh, mm. wanting to know, uh, how to go about selling a script. Uh, obviously it's impossible to sell a pilot. I mean, not impossible, but you know, it's incredibly difficult to sell a pilot period, but saying to make sure that they are one of the leads in it, which I think is just a horrible, horrible idea. You know, yeah, it's it, not gonna just... happen. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a killer. Right. I mean, like, but Taylor Sheridan, I believe his name. He wrote he wrote Sicario. Right. I, can you imagine him writing and be like, look, I guys, I gotta like, I gotta be the lead in this. So you're saying not only do you want someone to buy your screenplay, which by itself is a long shot, by itself is a long shot, mm-hmm. but you also want them to take a chance on you as the lead actor in it. So there's two long shots right there. I think the I think. I would think the moment that, that that an actor says that, I assume this is a pilot you're talking about, not a, not a feature. It, it it was a pilot, yeah, that they were talking about. Yeah, in that case, like I'm not any representation who heard that would just be like, okay, yeah, no, no go. Because <laughs> also, what you're demonstrating by saying that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the business. Right. Like in the sense that like they're taking so much of a chance, it demonstrates you as someone who is unwilling or just not or oblivious to the realities of the business and all the chances they're taking. When someone launches a TV show, they're putting 10 to $20 million into that. Like, that's how much money it costs to make the show, to do the marketing push, all that kind of stuff. And so if you're saying not only uh, do I want to write it, but I also want to star in it, and I'm, by the way, I'm not anyone famous, which I assume it, it would be, right. then you've demonstrated yourself as being somewhat delusional, and people don't want to be in business with delusional people. <laughs> 
That's it's just easier not to be, right? If I have two, two screenplays and one has an actor who says, I have to star in it, and the other one has someone who's like, hey, no worries, I just want to write it, I know which one I'm going to go for. That That is hysterical and also honest and true, and I've never heard anyone phrase it in quite that way. Nobody wants to be in business with a delusional person, which is so true, and there's so many out there. But It's, it's hard enough as it is, uh, man. It's a really, really hard business, and it only works if everyone's on the same page. Because if you're working with someone and they're not on the same page as you, it is a it's it's it, every time you move forward, you're pulled two steps back, and so yeah. it's, it's just better to cut bait and move on with your life. Does do you look at social media of prospective clients, not just to say, oh, this person has ten thousand Twitter followers? I don't care. But Why to, would I care? Well, I don't know. Maybe the they their Facebook page is a bunch of Nazis. I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing stuff out there. I don't know. I've, I will, I mean, I think if I hopefully that would come out through <laughs> meeting the person, right? You know, or talking to them on the phone. Certainly, sure. I would. You know, if I I'll, I'll put it like this: if I can't meet the person the, the person in person, yeah, um, then I I might just like look them up on Facebook or whatever. Right. But it really doesn't matter to me if they have a ton of Twitter followers, like because I can assure you, no one no one else cares. I mean, like, yeah, right. look, if you like. 300,000 Twitter followers, you're probably a comedy person, I would assume. I don't know anyone who does it. And so that might be important. I don't really do comedy that much. Right. But I can see that's more of a performer kind of thing. Sure, I don't sure. know. I guess there are people who write jokes who, who have huge Twitter followings. Right. But, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I don't care. I mean, like, it's really all I'm looking at is are you a good writer or not. And then once I meet you or talk to you on the phone, are you, as one of my old friends put it, are you not a complete weirdo? You know, right. really, that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, okay, A, do you have the talent? And B, are you someone, I mean, like, I'll put it like this. If someone is really charming and, like, has a real command of who they are, mm-hmm. man, this makes your job so much easier. You know, I have clients, and they, just, they, they know how to give good meaning. And giving good meaning, is, 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 that's a pretty great skill set. And that's just being confident about who you are and confident with the kind of stuff that you write and just being an interesting person. You right. know, if you're more socially awkward, it's not the end of the world because really at the end of the day it's all about the writing, but it's going to be a little tougher for you. You know, I remember when I was at Appian, my boss at the time would meet with someone who's incredibly charming and maybe not as talented as a writer and then someone who's socially awkward but a phenomenal writer, and they'd be like, oh, I want to work with this person. We're like, really? But they're not as good a writer as this other person. It's like, I just clicked with them better, you know? Right. So, you know, that, that's really all I'm looking for, and you can't really gauge that until you actually meet the person or, or at the minimum talk to them on the phone. And do you have any advice for those writers who know that they may be socially awkward or not as good in a room, I, I would so to speak? Take an acting class. Mm. One of my buddies did like Toastmasters International. You got to be comfortable. I'll put it like this: uh, you know, if you want to get into assignment work or pitch work or rewrite work or anything like that, or you just meet with people. Like screenwriting is a job of confidence. If you say I'm writing this great script, you should pay me to write this screenplay about a, a nonstop on a train. Um, <laughs> how do I know you're the best writer for it? I'm the only reason I know you're the best writer for it, I don't know, I think, I hope, because you, you pitched it and you had a really good idea, but you can give me a whole pitch and then they come, come in and the dialogue's going to be fucking terrible. Right. My language. Um, but, you know, at that point, you know, you're like, oh, so it's really a game of confidence. Can you lend me the confidence that you have about yourself and, and do it? I think there's a lot of people out there who just... You've got to be, you've got to believe in yourself, your ability to deliver, and your ability to and your and the, the story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a story, there's, an, there's a little bit from the the last tycoon, the F. F. Scott Fitzgerald book, that's about Irving Thalberg essentially. And Thalberg, who was kind of a boy wonder, I think he was president of 
see MGM or, or somewhere at the age of 21, um, he talks about, uh, he was talking to Scott Fitzgerald, who was a screenwriter at the time, and he said, you know, what you have to imagine when you're going to pitch someone is that there's a map of a mountain, and just a mountain, there's like a peak at the top, right? And he's like saying, you have to trace your way, you trace your kind of, as if you're tracing a path up the mountain, say, this is the way to the top of the mountain. I know how to get there, and this is the only way and the best way to the top of the mountain, and I know how to do it. And you may not in your heart even believe that's true, but you have to give them the confidence to believe that what you're saying is absolutely true. And that was true in the 20s and the 30s for Thalberg, and I think it's true today, is you have to have the confidence. Because if you come in and you know, you're, on, you're, you're unconfident or you're kind of undercutting yourself, or at that point it makes people be a little bit nervous, because if you don't believe in yourself, why should they believe in you? Right. So I would say, suggest to people that if you are having issues, you need to kind of, you know, do an acting class. That's, that's pretty useful from what I understand. Do an improv class. Do Toastmasters. Get to a point where you feel comfortable talking to people. You may not ever get to a perfect p- point, but mm-hmm. you can get to a little bit better where you, you go in and, and, you know, if you're going to do a pitch, you know, you know, one of my clients, you just you memorize it to the point where you're, you're you know, another people I've worked with, where you're just kind of doing it blind. And then at that point, you're not worried about hitting your marks. Right? You're just doing it. You've done it so often that you're confident in your ability to do so. Right. So, you know, if you are the person, you know, it's, you know, no one ever gotten in trouble for being underprepared, for being overprepared, I should say. Right. And, you know, there is this idea that, you know, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And it's just one of those situations where if you are a person, you know, it's not your skill set, the only way you can beat it is by working as hard at it and being as prepared as possible, because that'll become clear to the person and, and they will respect that and, and they will appreciate that about you. Yeah. And just using the, the preparation um argument uh peyton manning is not the most physically gifted of nfl quarterbacks but he's going to go into the hall of fame simply because he was probably the most prepared quarterback ever and i had heard that before the nfl draft he would videotape himself doing mock interviews and then evaluate himself in these interviews and to become better at it and more comfortable at it and he obviously nailed it he was the first pick in the draft um, when, you know, there were other quarterbacks like Ryan Leaf uh, up there. But, I mean, he took to took it to that next level, that preparation of, I'm not just going to go in there and, and answer these questions. I'm going to prepare myself and become, you know, I, I want to be prepared for every eventuality. I want to make sure I'm at the top of my game, so to speak, even if the game was an interview. Um, so yeah, I and, you know, that. it's, that's really, really smart because there's two things about that. A, the confidence I'm sure he displayed in those interviews mm-hmm. gave confidence to the coaches and managers who eventually – you know, wanted to sign him. And secondly, if you prepare that much for an interview, yeah. can you imagine how much this guy must prepare for games? Yeah. So what we kind of talked about previously, but the idea that, like, one, how you write a query letter, help you speak to how you write a screenplay, that's, that's demonstrated in, what, in the example I just gave of Peyton Manning, where the way he approached interviews was just an, was the tip of an iceberg to how you must approach games and other kind of even more important things. Right. Absolutely. Um, the last query I got just said query in the subject, and in the, 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 in the email it said, I am looking for representation. Representation was misspelled, and there was no punctuation. So, there you go. <laughs> uh, bad yeah, sign. I I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say that person will not be getting representation anytime soon. Right, exactly. Um, I guess, but lastly, we're running short on time, but it's always it's been fantastic. Um, but last time I think we talked, you said you had seven or eight clients at the time? I'm just curious yeah. how many clients you have now and you know what sort of what's your sort of ideal? I mean, how many clients would you, you know, like I would to? say right now I have, you know, between 10 and 15 clients or people I'm talking to, we're working mm-hmm. together, 
you know, and so there are people who were, were just kind of began talking, were in conversations, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. You know, for me, I would say my, at first I was like, oh, 10 to 12, but I think the reality is a lot of my clients are off writing, and so, you know, I'm at the point where I'm busy, but I'm not, you know, running flat out yet. I would say my ideal is probably somewhere in the range between 15 and 20. Okay. I think I wouldn't want to go above 20. Right. That's too many at that point. But, you know, I, I definitely know that I'm not completely at, at the point where I'm like my bandwidth is extended. So I think ideally between 15 and 20 is where I'd like to land at. Oh, that's great. Cool. Um, and what social media do you use most? You know, I'm on Facebook. We have a, a, Bell, a, a Facebook page for Bellevue. That's good. Um, we have a website. I think it's inf, our, e, our query letter email is info at bellevueprods.com. That's on the Bellevue website. Um, but, I, you know, I, Facebook is probably the one that I use the most um, mm-hmm. just for broadcasting. You know, today, um, uh, Jeff Portnoy co-manages two really, really talented writers um, who wrote a great script called Mayday 109 that just got optioned by Thunder Road and, and Flynn Pitcher Company. Mm. So we just put that up on the Facebook page. You know, I don't really get a lot of queries through there, which is perfectly fine. It's much easier for me to do it via email. Right. Um, so Facebook's probably, like, that's, that's one you can kind of read up on what we've been up to lately. Um, but the easiest thing is just checking the website and emailing info at com for any query letters, stuff like that. You know, email is usually the easiest thing. I, I've been thinking about getting into Twitter, but the truth, to be honest, between Twitter and Facebook and, and everything else, it's, it's, it seems like just yet another kind of the same kind of thing. So <laughs> right. I, try to, I spend more time reading screenplays and, and working on stuff than, uh, than getting on Twitter. It's just not something I, found, I, I have yet found. I like to follow think, people on Twitter, but in terms of writing my own stuff, I haven't quite, quite gone into that yet. Right, gotcha. So those writers out there who are uh, looking to query you for their new nonstop on a train, on a boat, on a whatever, <laughs> on, a, on a rickshaw, then... Uh, hey, they already did. Uh, I think they already done the boat with speed, too. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. The rickshaw, the rickshaw one, not yet. <laughs> so there you go. It's coming. It's coming. I can feel it. Um, awesome. So thanks so much, John. It's always, always a pleasure. Um, Thank you, Kevin. And for the latest updates on recently released and upcoming interviews and features, you can follow us on Twitter at Scribes, and you can also find us on Facebook and Google+, Plus, and of course, on the website, scriptsandscribes.com. So, uh, thank you all for listening. Rap is law, and I'm passing the bar. All verses considered like I'm NPR, and we are killing them. Everyone I roll with, gunning for the top spot, the opposite of hopeless. My flow is the dopest of anyone in showbiz. No more riddling, I'm still so focused. So how'd I blow up so quick? Because I got the type of rhymes to keep it cracking like a glow stick. I run through reds like my name was Joe McCarthy. And everywhere I go, I start the party. Hardly starving, I'm an MC cannibal. Can't stop.